Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards the Light, the podcast. My name is Mike Gregson. I'm your host. So excited to have Katie Robertson with me. Some of you may have heard of that new released movie on Netflix. It's Well, it's a three-series document um, that's called The Mormon Murders, and it's about the Salamander Letters. Um, and I'm going to dive right into this and just tell you, Katie Robertson is Kathy Sheets and Gary Sheets' daughter. And if you watch that series yet, Kathy and Gary, of course, as her parents, you all know what happened to Katie's mom um, and that whole experience surrounding the, Sal- the Salamander letters and Mark Hoffman. We're going to get to that. But first, I want to introduce Katie Robertson, the person that I know. Um, so when my wife and I, Alicia, were dating, um, we were going to the singles ward up in Holiday, Utah. And we had the privilege of going to the same church that Katie and her husband, Joe, were called into the bishopric to kind of be stewards over, if you will. And I'll tell you what, um, Katie, I didn't know you before. Um, I knew my family knew who you were, and I, I know a lot of people that were connected to you, but I'd never met you before. We actually went to that singles ward that I recall. And, um, it was at a point in my life where I was actually just kind of starting to come back. And I, there was a lot of things in my life that were dark and hard and coming back was a a big step for me. And I'll never forget how you made me feel whenever I was around you, you always had a smile on your face and joy in your heart and you lived life. I could tell um, in a, in a way that was very beautiful uh, that you looked at life and, 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 and those that were in your world with a lot of beauty and optimism. And it was contagious. And uh, we've, we've talked, my, Alicia and I have talked about that often, uh, looking back at you and Joe, and, and we just feel like there's no, there's no doubt that we believe we were supposed to meet you guys at that point in our lives. And you guys really strengthened us and helped us to um, really strive to, to overcome some of the challenges in our lives and, and really start to turn around and give back to other people because we saw you guys doing that yourselves. Your lives were about service at that time. And uh, of course they are still, but you're grandma Vader nine. So yeah, it's about service right now too. But uh, you know, Katie, I'm so grateful that you'd come on here and and I know that you're going to share an incredible story. Um, and it, and it does tie in of course, to that Netflix documentary, uh, documentary, the Mormon murders. And, and so I'm excited for my listeners to kind of hear hear it from someone who is really there and experienced so much of, of all that chaotic chaos back then. So anyway, enough of me, Katie, take it away. Tell us about yourself and, and let's dive in. Okay. Thanks Mike for having me. We just love you and your family so much and you have a special place in our heart. Right um, back at you. I hope you know that. Thanks. Well, um, I am now, I live about a mile away from where my my parents lived and grew up. I live in holiday still. I've raised four kids here and they're all married. We got our last one married. Hallelujah. During COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so they're all married now and I'm, I'm expecting me. No, my daughter is expecting our number eight grandchildren and the oldest one's six. So they're all really close together. I love it. So I grew up in holiday. Um, Utah, and I had a great family. My um, my mom was a school teacher, and my dad um, was the 
entrepreneur. He just started different businesses, sold encyclopedias and things like that. Then he started a company called CFS, Coordinated Financial Services. And I have, I'm the second of four. So I have an older sister named Heidi, a younger sister named Gretchen, and then a younger brother named Jim. And we grew up in a great home um, with two parents that loved us. And um, we, my dad um, worked really hard and he did quite well financially. And we moved just two blocks away, build a house when I was 12. And we were still in the same neighborhood, but just moved slightly. Um, and um, then we grew up and I went to Skyline and graduated. Go Eagles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go Eagles. Say, yay. <laughs> yay. Um, and so then I met my husband, married my husband, and he had worked for my dad, coordinated financial services too. Um, and um, we had just bought this house in Holiday just about a, a mile from my parents and two miles from his parents. So really close. He grew up in holiday too. And we had a little girl named Molly um, that had some complications when she was born. And that was August. And then on October 15th, um, I just remember the day so well, it was a beautiful fall day. And we got a call from my husband's sister, Jenny, and she um, said, I have heard there's a bomb at your parents' house. And I said, no, that can't be right. We had just gotten a call from somebody, I'm not sure who it was, that said there was a bomb that had most likely killed um, Steve Christensen down at the judge building. And Steve was uh, kind of a associate of my dad's. He worked for my dad. My dad really loved Steve. Steve was brilliant. He was very well-read, very smart. I think he was a bishop by the time he was 25. And um, he knew a lot about the church. He knew a lot about everything. And so he worked for my dad and my, he moved up and was, I think my dad's administrative assistant. And then they worked together on some deals and and Joe and I were really good friends with um, Steve and Terry, Steve Christensen's wife, Terry, who is just delightful, just so kind and so nice. And we had gone to New York for a couple of business trips. My dad had attorneys back there um, that he worked with. So we'd gone back there. So I felt like I knew Steve pretty well. Joe worked with Steve every day and admired Steve. Steve was like a brother to him. Mm. So on, we got that call that Steve had um, most likely been killed by a bomb. We were all shot. Um, and then we got a call, probably, I want to say 1030-ish. And they said, Jenny said, well, we heard there was a bomb at your parents' house. And I says, no, that can't be right. That's, that's Steve, you know. And, and then she goes, well, I heard on the news that there was something at your parents' house. And so I hung up the phone and I had just had my baby, um, Molly. She was two months old and I just got this horrible feeling in my uh -huh. stomach. And I thought, I better go check that out. I tried yeah. to call my mom a couple of times and her phone didn't answer. It was before cell phones in the olden days. Yeah. <laughs> and um, her yeah. cell phone didn't answer and I kept calling. And then I just had this feeling in my stomach. I've got to go over there. Mm. So Joe and I put Molly in the car and we pulled up the street. My parents lived at the kind of down at the end of a drive, but there was a church and then they lived down kind of in a gully and um, there were some dead end streets down there. But I remember driving up the street ready to turn left to go down to my parents' house. And I saw this crime tape and um, it was, Place and I jumped out of the car and I went up to the police officers and said, what's going on? I need to know. Um, I couldn't get down to my parents' driveway. I saw when I looked down there, um, I saw it, it looked like a lot of police officers down there and it looked like an ambulance or something. So I went down and I said to the police officer, please tell me, I know something's going on. Um, please tell me what's going on. And I just remember, I think of this police officer so often, 
that he said, come and sit in the police car. And so we were sitting in the back of the police car and he, this cute little police officer walked down in front of the church. You know, he, he walked about, no, I want to say 50 yards down and then 50 yards back. And I, I know he was trying to figure out what in the heck is he going to say? And so he told me, he said, it, um, there's been a bomb placed at your parents' house and your mom's picked it up and she's been killed by a bomb. And I remember falling to the ground thinking, just sobbing, just thinking, no, this can't be right. This like, can't be what? right. Yeah. A bomb. And are you sure it was my mom? Are you yeah. sure it wasn't somebody else? And who would do this and why would they do this? And, um, so he sat in the car for a while, um, why they were trying to get a hold of my dad. And then they had gotten us, somebody had gotten a hold of my dad and he was driving home. So mm. we were kind of walking around by the police officers. And then my dad drove up and he got out of the car. And it's kind of funny in the docuseries, there's, there's a part where Joe, my husband and I, Joe's holding our two month old baby in his arms and I am hugging my dad. I have really short hair. Um, that was back in the eighties perm <laughs> and it, it was bad anyway, but I'm hugging you my dad. I saw that part. Yeah. And they, that's the only clip they have of everything. And they keep showing it over and over and over again. It drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, can't they get a better clip than that? But, um, anyway, it's just right when my dad came up and they had told my dad and my dad was hugging me and Joe. And then after that, um, they had got my husband and Joe and myself and my dad and took us in the police car down to the police department, which was down in holiday city, the little old one. And they, they took us in there and sat us down and we weren't, we didn't know what was going on. We were so confused on, we knew that my dad's business had had some financial problems and, um, he was an, he was an investor or he took people's money and invested it. And some of the investments had gone bad because of the change tax laws. And so we didn't know, you know, they were wondering if it was the business, you know, a disgruntled investor or we didn't know, we had no idea. And I remember sitting there and um, having my siblings come in. Um, mm. Mm, sorry. One by one. And um, my cute little sister was 21 at the U and she, a police officer pulled her out of class, didn't tell her anything. And she sat in the back of his car and drove all the way from the U to the police department. And then they told her she just cried and cried. And then my little brother, he was 14 at um, Churchill. He was a ninth grader and um, played volleyball and um, with wonderful Gene Bechtel, his coach yes. up there. Coach I love Bechtel. Bechtel. He's just famous. Such One a good person. One of the best person. of all time. Yep. He is. So the police officers went and um, got my little brother out of class. He didn't know what was going on. They, I think they checked his locker to see if there was a bomb in there. And then they took him down to the police department. And it was interesting because my dad was there and all, all of his kids were there. Um, and he walked in and, you know, a 14 year old boy, it was just interesting the difference between a, my sister and a, a boy that age, because he was mad when they told him his mom had died. My little brother was punching walls. He was mad. He mm. was saying some inappropriate swear words, and <laughs> um, but uh. he was really, really mad. And that just broke my heart. And then we sat there for a while, didn't know what to do. Didn't know what was going on. Then um, President Falk, who was in the stake presidency in our stake at the time, said, why don't you come to my home? And um, why don't you come to my home and sit while we try to figure out what to do? You know, because we couldn't go back to my parents' house or none of our houses because they were, didn't know if there were another bomb planted somewhere. So we went to President Falk's house super nice, wonderful, wonderful guy. And we sat there and we watched the news reports, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, sat there on his couch. And I remember 
um, Hugh Pinnock, who was a friend of my dad's, came over and um, later that night, and he had us all go in and um, write my mom's obituary. Oh my gosh! Which was, um, I mean, it was good because we were all didn't know what to do. We were all kind of in shock, and he. They were really good to kind of say, okay, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to, you know, go down to the, uh, the mortuary the next day and we need to pick out a casket, all the things. And I think all of us were just in shock going through the motions that whole week. You know, I just remember little things like um, I went with Joe to um, buy a dress. I didn't have a dress. And then, you know, how weird that was shopping, thinking, you know, why am I shopping? I'm getting a dress. Anyway, just the random things you do. I never judge anybody when they have gone through um, a loss anymore, because I think you just are trying to go through the motions. Um, anyway, so the next, um, and we had known about Steve Christensen and my mom. And the next day when Mark Kaufman, the bomb went off, um, in Mark Hoffman's car, um, that kind of turned the direction away from my dad's company um, and some, dis- you know, a disgruntled investor looking more at the documents. And we had we had no clue who Mark Hoffman was. Our family, my husband, um, since he was good friends with Steve Christensen, and they thought they went to lunch like every day together because they worked together, um, knew about the the documents and um, some of the stuff that, that Steve was trying to buy from Mark Hoffman, but we didn't know, we didn't really know what was going on. And my dad had offered to help finance um, buying the documents if that was needed at the time. Um, Cause I think Steve, it was 40,000, something like that. Anyway. So we, we'd never met him before. I'd never met him before. Um, my husband had met him once. He says, I just remember that he was just a quiet guy there was not much to remember nothing stood out nope nothing stood out so um after i think they were still kind of going both you know looking at the documents and looking at the disgruntled investors you know and then as things kind of happened they turns more towards the the documents and i guess with the docu series that they did I asked my kids, I, my kids have heard the story, you know, a little bit, and I asked them what their thoughts were. And they said they were confused with the timeline of it a little bit. So if I were to clarify that, I would say that Mark Hoffman, um, the next day was when the bomb went off. And um, then it was about another week they were still looking at both sides and then they kind of figured out it was more the documents after about a week. Yeah. So, you know, and I remember they set up everything in our church, um, the FBI and that came in, they were checking the bombing and stuff. They had the whole church set up and they had documents and everything. They were trying to do some investigation and that's how we, Came to know Mark Kaufman. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I. What's amazing to me, and I, you know, I I knew the story from when I was a little kid. Um, I remember my parents and my grandparents talking about it a couple times. I obviously grew up about, oh gosh, you know, within a mile of where you lived growing up, and um, I, I had no idea that your your dad had no clue who Mark Kaufman was. I mean, maybe maybe in passing. Um, your husband obviously had met him one time, but like, you don't remember somebody after meeting him one time when you're not going to actually meet the person for some reason, right? If you're meeting him in passing, you don't remember them. And I always, I always had thought that somehow your dad was connected to him in some kind of a way, but he wasn't And that to me, Katie, that's what makes this so devastating. I mean, it's just the whole, the whole story is devastating, but like to pick someone completely at random. And, and I know they've looked into that too. And you'll have to talk about that a little bit more because I don't want to put words into the story, but he really had no, like it was completely random, correct? Mm -hmm. It was. Mm -hmm. And and that, I mean, 
and and your mom. Tell me if you don't mind before we go any further. Let, let's talk about your mom for a minute. Oh, my mom was the funnest person. She was so funny. She loved to do April Fool's jokes every year. She would do something um, inappropriate, and <laughs> that's awesome. She would go to to my school to when we were little kids and do really embarrassing jokes. One yes. time, she made a, a big chocolate cake and put it in the faculty room and said, "Eat this if you dare." Happy April Fool's, Cappy Sheets. <laughs> yeah. And so then one time the school got back over at her when they, I think they were celebrating their 20th year, but they called her up and gave her a big award, the April Fool's Day Award, and gave her a, a dozen long stem roses without any roses. <laughs> so she was known as a good practical joker. She was fun. She was, um, had a good, strong testimony. She was, a, her whole life was serving others. And she had a ton of friends. And that morning, the interesting thing is Mark Hoffman, I guess, from what I understand, um, put the bomb there in the middle of the night, probably around three. My parents had a driveway that went down and a kind of a walkway. So you could walk out to the car or you could walk through the garage and get in your cars through the garage and drive out. Well, his bomb was placed such kind of in between um, the walkway and and the garage up front. So my little brother and my dad, my dad had taken my little brother to school. So they had gone the other way and then driven the car up. And then my mom went walking with her dear friend, (laughs) um, Faye Cotter. So she'd gotten in her car and she drove to Faye's house to pick, to just meet there to walk. And so my mom went walking in the morning and then she came down and saw the bomb there. And then she picked it up and apparently, and I, I did not know this till I watched the docuseries is that Mark Hoffman said there was like a 50% chance it would go off, you know, and it, that he just put it there as a diversion um, to make it look like it wasn't him. I think it to make it look more like my dad's business. He said he didn't care if it was a dog or a child. You know, I think of, I think of how many school kids would come down and pick up your kids for school or you know it could have been my grandkid one of the grandkids my mom had three grandkids at that age could have picked it up and if you would have carried it straight it wouldn't have gone off but because if you tipped it the mercury switch went so so my mom tucked it under her arm and that's when it went off and that's when it went off and the damage was done to her chest and a little bit on her face but that was that's what killed her. I mean, it it killed her instantly, which was, which was good, you know, that she didn't suffer or anything, but that's, so I guess when I heard that on the docuseries, it made me so sad because I think, well, gosh, there was a 50% chance it might not have gone off, you know, but you can't do that. You can't go back and, you know, what if, what if, but that's a thought that I had. Um, I wish wish you could go back, darn it. I'm so sorry. I know. In fact, my kids, the interesting thing is my kids we were sitting around talking about it the other day after they all saw it and my daughter said oh I wish so bad it wouldn't have gone off I mm. wish so bad that um, I knew grandma Kathy and they say my dad remarried a lady named Diane from New Zealand that we love my kids love her Diane Sheet. she's amazing but then they said well we wouldn't have gotten to know grandma die you know and I and then but they said but I still wish I wish we could go back and it wouldn't have happened. And I sat there in my mind and thought, I am so grateful for all those things I learned. I don't know if I'd give that up, you know, because I know I'll see my mom again. I have a firm testimony that there's life after death and that I will see her again and it will be a great reunion. And this is a short period of time on this earth. Um, But I, through the whole experience, learned um, so many life lessons that I don't know that I would have learned any other way. So, you know, I, I love that. And that's obviously the purpose of the podcast. Right. And, and I'm, I'm glad to have you on here to talk about some of those things. Cause uh, I mean, this, I can't imagine going through what you went through, especially getting a random call on a day when you had just had a baby Two Molly was two months old. You tried calling your mom a couple of times. You get a phone call, someone saying there's a bombing at your house and you're going, wait, what? 
And then you go and you see all these people like in the driveway, cops and emergency crew. And just like your heart's got to just drop at that point. Like what? And, and having no connection. I mean, even if, even if like to try and connect it to your dad's company, CFS, like it just like, why would anybody kill somebody? Right? Like what is the, that doesn't happen. Right. I mean, every once in a while you hear about the news, but it never happens to you. Right. And when I say you, I mean, all of us, right? Like it's very, very, very rare. The the chances are so slim. And for that to happen to you guys, I, I can't imagine how you felt. And, and then when you go up to your home, you're not really able to go see your mom, right? They kind of kept you back off. They were, they were investigating it like a crime scene. Um, if you don't mind, just kind of take, go back to that, that next couple of days with your mom. Like, like, how did you feel? Like, what kind of conversations did you have with your dad? Was he just like at odds trying to figure what, what the heck? You know, the interesting thing was, is because they were so worried there was another bomb place somewhere. There might be that my dad went down. He, no one went to her house. Um, so my dad went down to he had a condo at the American Towers uh, um, downtown. He went and stayed there with the police officer that was with them, with him to protect him from we don't know what, you know, just to make sure there's a really, you know, great police officer it was so nice. And Joe and I went and stayed at our in-laws house because they didn't know if they were going to be placing a bomb at our house. And um, and I remember when they came back to our house, um, we had to get clothes and things like that. Um, they were <laughs> carefully opening up the mailbox. Um, they carefully looked under the cars. They'd open the washer and the dryer. They were careful to look all over our house for bombs, yeah. you know? And I remember that that's kind of how I felt the first, um, two or three weeks after I was back home that I was worried about starting my car, that a bomb would explode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I was worried about opening a random door that, you know, it was just the fear of, you know, having that go off. Cause we didn't, we still didn't know a lot yet. Um, but we were planning for the, the funeral. And the interesting thing is we, uh, we had um, McKay Mortuary. He's a good friend of our family's. He, that sweet man, he paid, he paid for my mom's whole funeral. He wouldn't okay. let my dad pay for anything, but John McKay was his name. Um, anyway, the, the mortician, he said that your mom doesn't look bad. You know, you really ought to see her. So you have some closure. And so my dad and my little brother have left the funeral home and had gone home. And so we sent my husband over first to look, Joe, we were like, go look and see how she looks. And what do you think? You know, and Joe was cute. He called us over. And so it was my, my three sisters and our, um, um, my sister's husband and my husband. And we looked at my mom and she, the interesting thing is she always had a smile on her face, but it, you know, and she, when she was done, when the they'd done her body. She, the only thing you could see is she didn't have one of her hands. I mean, it was missing. So what, usually they're folded in front of you and it was tucked behind Got it. and her mouth was, her mouth was not a big smile, which were that she looked good. She looked good. Her body, I mean, you'd think a bomb would, you know, but yeah. her body was intact and she looked good and peaceful. But the thing we still laugh about is she had this, I don't know who did her hair, but she had this horrible, <laughs> horrible beehive hair dude just this and we just laughed and laughed and we said oh my gosh mom sorry we should have had your hairdresser come but I mean that's kind of a way we cope our family with is with humor in some ways with that yeah. but I am grateful I saw her my little brother it it's been hard that he never got to kind of have closure on that oh, yeah. and same with my dad yeah they wish I they would have done that I can imagine I, you know, I I've lost my, I lost my father to brain cancer, totally different, but um, yeah, like there's, there's that death is very much like that, right? You, you hope for closure. It's, it's a, it's an interesting thing, but I'm glad you have that moment, even though they had a hairdresser yeah. from the seventies come in to put the beehive <laughs> up in your mom's hair. We were in the eighties. It should have been a perm. I mean, come on. So um, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and, and I, and I know, obviously we talked before we started recording and I know you were close to your mom and I, and I just want to take a second, just tell you. I'm sorry. 
Yes. Oh, wow, that's so nice. Well, I mean, what a great lady. And and Katie, I, I know you well enough to know that there's a lot of your mom in you and um, you're incredible. And so I can only imagine how incredible she is. And uh, it's going to be fun for you to see her again. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, now, now tell me, obviously in the docuseries, they kind of like the first episode, they kind of like dramatic effect and, and obviously they needed to. I mean, this is crazy, right? But they talk about the church and, and they talk about, you know, Mark Hoffman and the Salamander letters. I don't want to talk about him a whole lot. Okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, his poor wife. I mean, you watch that docuseries and you're just like, oh, you poor woman. And his kids. Yeah. I feel so bad for his kids. Uh, it's, yeah. it's tough. And uh, hopefully they're doing okay. But um, mm-hmm. you can tell that they're kind of ending the first one. And they're like, is, is there more behind it than just whatever and, and kind of almost hinting as if maybe the church has more involvement there. Talk to me about your feelings about that whole thing. When, when all of that started to unfold, how did you guys as a family, were you just trying to grieve or were you really like tied very closely to this whole thing? Well, the interesting thing is, is my husband had, you know, was friends with Steve and Steve been working to, um, to buy these documents from Mark Hoffman. So we had heard about it before my mom died. We'd heard about these the salamander letter and um, some other documents that he um, was trying to sell and things like that. And so um, we'd heard about salamander letter and we heard what was in it. And you kind of, you're kind of taken back thinking, well, I don't know, you know, this is kind of weird as far as salamanders and, you know, all the information in there, but they didn't, I mean, it wasn't authenticated yet the document and Steve Christensen and the church was really trying to authenticate it first to make sure it was, you know, they sent it to the FBI, which I thought was interesting on the docuseries that the FBI said, no, this is, this is real. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Michael, yeah. No, who can you trust if you can't trust the FBI? Well, and, and what's funny, I'm going to pause you right there for a sec. Cause yeah. they even say to Mark Hoffman, like, like, how did you feel knowing that you fooled all these, like the FBI and everybody else? Like, man, wow. How did you feel? And he's like, something to the extent of, I'm going to totally butcher exactly what he said, but he basically said, you know, I'm not really that amazing at what I did. I mean, he was good for sure. Uh, yeah. It's not like he was this amazing perfection, like that just those kind of things are hard to prove, right? Right. And that then they were, I think they were very hard. I think it's important to state that the church wasn't panicking. And and that's, you kind of get a little vibe of that from docuseries one. Maybe there's some stuff happening in the church. That's not the case though. All that they were trying to do is make sure like, hey, factually, like, let's make sure the facts come out before you really start to talk too much about this thing. Let's get the, mm-hmm. let's get the facts straight. Right. Yeah. And people would say to me, well, you know, who was it? Was it Gordon B. Hinckley or one of the prophets that would say, you know, look at it and think, you know, it might be real. And I'm like, well, the prophets just same with Joseph Smith. They're just human beings, you know, sure. They're, they have a leadership and they have a mantle, but they're just like us and they can make mistakes. And, you know, I just, I really, a lot of people I know left the church because of that, but I never had a problem with that because that's not what I believe. I mean, I believe that these men are not perfect, but they do the best they can. I have a husband who has been a bishop, and I certainly know that he is not perfect. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Yeah. Hold on. Joseph, wait. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Don't tell myself. I that. love it. I love it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I live with, and I saw my dad, who was a bishop, and I've seen, you know, general authorities, you know, the, the prophet, um, Joseph Smith, dad were absolutely not perfect people, but they had a, a calling here on earth to do. And I think Joseph Smith did it gracefully and amazingly. And so did Gordon B. Hinckley and Russell Nelson. Now I think they're amazing. And I, appreciate um the knowledge that i know that you know that i have a testimony of that but yeah i think some people thought the church was trying to cover up and i never really got the impression they were trying to do that i think they were just being cautious yeah and being careful yep which they should do right i mean like you right that's that's the way you do things when you've got documents that are trying to be proven as accurate or not i mean you 
you take a step back and as regular human beings, we're not professionals in everything that we do. So obviously the prophet, the apostles, they're not guys that can go and validate a script from whenever it was. And they have no idea what another character is trying to do. And, you know, I, I just, I, I hope that those people that left the church, as soon as they realized that those papers were false and inaccurate, I hope they came running back because yeah. I, I think the important message is anytime that we're supposed to have faith in this life, it also teaches us that we have to look past the weaknesses of men, right? It's men and women are, are we're going to make mistakes all the time. Faith, faith causes us and gives us the opportunity to look up, right? Stop worrying about all this stuff, but look towards things that are higher way of thinking, love, love, um, service, charity, like those are the things that are important. All the other stuff doesn't matter. And um, anyway, let's switch gears for just a second, if you, if if that's okay. Um, sure. Talk to me about that week after you, you guys kind of go through, well, you're not even able to mourn. And that's the hardest thing that I hear is, you know, I think just being afraid for your lives everywhere you go, it doesn't allow you the chance to really like let sink in what's happened to your mom. Um, so you, you go, you get through the, you kind of have the funeral process and all of that. How does it go from there? Like once that's over, what, what's kind of happening in your life at that point? Are you, are you starting to grieve? What's happening? Well, <laughs> the interesting thing is after that, um, my dad's company did end up um, shortly after that he did take out bankruptcy, all the hundred or so people that worked for him, which were amazing, did not have jobs. Mm. And they were really good people, really good people. So they were out of work. My husband was out of work. Joe was out of work for a year. We had no income for a year. That was really hard. Um, I'd go over to my dad's house. I'd go over and try and clean or bring him dinner or something. I would walk in, he'd be back in his bedroom asleep. You know, I think he was really depressed at the time. Yeah. A lot of pain. Yeah. He'd been Bishop at the time and they released him, which, which was protocol at that time. And so, I mean, here he lost my mom and his business and his friends. And I mean, just his support group of his company and he just had nothing. I think he went through a really dark, dark time and it was hard. I worried about him a lot going over there. I remember one time I, he was attended Molly when she, I think it was New Year's, we went out and I came back and he'd taken such good care of her. And he was sitting there watching some Western ironing his hankies, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, okay, this is really not my dad, you know, Uh. but the one thing about my dad, those who know my dad, my dad is an eternal optimist. He really thought he could get his company back on its feet if he did this or did that, or he's just an eternal salesman and optimist. So um, to see him down like that was really hard, but I knew my dad, I knew it wouldn't last long and it didn't. And he, um, I think that's where, I think all of the Sheets kids, all my siblings have had a really positive outlook. And that's because of the way we saw my dad handle his life and the tragedy that he went through. He was just optimistic. Never. I really never heard him said anything bad about Mark Hoffman. He forgave Mark Hoffman. It was interesting because he, I mean, his company was such a big company and he had so many um, people that he invested for doctors I remember the Christmas before my mom died, we had these stairs. We had just a whole living room was filled with gifts, gift baskets from different companies and different people that he worked with. And there were probably a hundred gift baskets, you know, Um, we didn't need it at the time, you know, and I, I'm sure my mom gave away a bunch of them, but the next year after my dad had declared bankruptcy and some of these people lost money, it was like, there was not one one gift basket yeah. when he needed it most. It's just interesting that just told dynamics of the whole thing, you know, which he really learned who his friends were 
He didn't have any money anymore. He never, ever got back on his feet financially again. His cute wife still works. Um, he passed away two years ago, but he uh, struggled the rest. He died at 83. So what is that? He was 53 when my mom died. So 30 years, they just struggled financially, but he never, he never complained. He just marched ahead and he was our greatest cheerleader. You know, whenever, awesome. even my kids say that my, I have, my daughter has a funny story of saying that she came home from my dad was here staying with us one time. And Laura was probably 14 and she had come home just sobbing, crying, crying. Cause she had lost the, her track meet, you know, the race she was in. And my dad said, but you're still great. You're so great. And she said, grandpa, I was the only one running and I came in last. I was <laughs> dead last. That's okay. You're still great. You know, you're just still a great, you know, he was just found the best in every situation, eternal optimist. And that helped a lot get through that, yeah. but it was hard. It was hard for Joe and I too to not have any insurance. We didn't, you know, we didn't have any insurance. We didn't have any income um, for a year. And it was just a really, really hard time for many reasons. Yeah. And I worried a lot about my little brother and my dad. Did you ever get bitter towards God or angry at Mark Hoffman yourself? I never, it was interesting. I was more angry at his parents and his family. I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I was more angry at them for not um not knowing, you know, and his wife, his yeah. wife. And now I look back and think that was just displaced anger, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't give much thought to Mark Hoffman. I just think he I can't believe he's that I don't I can't believe there's really people out in the world who really are that evil. Right. I think that way, because that's so foreign to me. So no, I don't have um, anger towards him. What was your other question? Sorry. No, that that was good. And and what it made me think about is you said something about your dad that um, stands out to me. You started to, you started to go down the trail to talk about money a little bit. If you watch the docu series, what's Mark Hoffman's purpose? Well, mm -hmm. two maybe twofold. Maybe he was trying to confuse some people, right? Like because he said something about truth. He's like, truth is what people believe. That's not, that's not true. That's God's taught us that truth is truth is truth. It doesn't ever change. And he felt like he could fool people into believing these things and that to them became their truth. And so he could almost be the author of truth. Well, if you look at what he was doing, he was trying to make money. Mm -hmm. And, and because his life was so focused on money and, and, ultimately power and fame, but, but it's, it, but it all goes back to money mm -hmm. because he let his life get so focused on money. He destroyed himself, his wife. I mean, and I hope she's okay. I hope they're, I hope his children have somehow been able to, I can't imagine. Um, but, but he's also destroyed certain parts of other people's lives. And, and that, and I think what you're saying right there and, and how, that Christmas with all those gift bas baskets lining the stairs for you and just how exciting that is as a little kid, right? You see all those fun mm -hmm. gifts. And I mean, as a kid, your eyes light up for that stuff. And then the next year when you're, when your father's really in need and after such a traumatic year for you guys, there's nothing there. I think that says a lot to us as human beings when we focus our lives on money and when money becomes everything to us and we gain our friendships because of money and it, you know, we gain our, our companions because of money or the people that we get to hang out with or, or the people we want. And, and to get that, we have to have a certain amount of income. That's the greatest lie there ever was in this life because that'll leave you stranded. That'll leave you empty. That'll leave you broken. I think of Mark Hoffman. And I think that scripture in, in the Bible where Christ says, by their fruits, you shall know them. I mean, yeah, you look at the wake that that guy left behind him. He crushed, he crushed people. You know, it, it's awful what he put in the stumbling blocks he put in front of people. And if, if we're not paying attention and if we're not, 
if we're looking with the dollar signs at people and trying to find what am I going to get from, from what, what gain am I going to get from everything I involve myself in, then, then that's, what's going to happen in your life. And I think this is a, this story is a great testimony of that, right? That if, if you put your heart and your mind on the almighty dollar, it doesn't get you very far. And, and it leaves, it leaves you messed up and it leaves you broken and it, and it affects all kinds of people in your world as well. But then you talk about a guy like your dad who is a forever optimist and gosh, I can't imagine going through what he went through that year, not only to his wife, but then to like, have to like wrap his arms around his kids and say, Hey, somehow we're going to be okay. <laughs> like so, and, and to see his business kind of going through what it, it started to go through and money didn't matter to him after that. I mean, I mean, obviously we have to make it to survive. That's fine. But when we have faith, we also understand and we can trust that God takes care of us if we do what's right. And he sure does. He always shows up and that brings a lot more peace than having to lose yourself to a title and lose yourself to going after that money. Um, if you have people that follow you because you make a lot of money, they're not your friends. They don't care about you. They want to use you to make money themselves or to get glory themselves. But when you have people that show up for you through your thick and your thin and they get no gain from it, that's when you know that you've got the best friends that this world could ever offer. And, and that's, that's true Christ-like love, right? And, I, and I, I love that you brought that up because that's a really important part of this story that the docuseries isn't going to be able to cover all that stuff, right? They're going to talk about the facts. They're going to talk about certain things that happened, uh, trying to get all of them right, right? Um, and, and it's awesome to have you here to provide some clarification to a couple different things that happen. But, but let's talk about some of the principles of like what got twisted in this story. What happened to Mark Hoffman, right? Like, you know, those things are really the things that we should be deep diving and taking a look at and saying, why, you know, why did people actually listen to that? Well, and so maybe we should deep dive some of those things, right? So anyway, enough of me. I've I've kind of I've kind of said a little too much there. No, um, can I just make one comment? Is please. what you said was right on right on the money. On the money. It's right on the money. It was right on the money. But that is one lesson I learned at a you know a young age that I am so grateful for because I agree a hundred percent. Life is not about money or how much you make or you know, my husband would always laugh and say, people think um, happiness is just one purchase away. And it's not. Never. You know, it's never, never is, never is. So thanks for your comments. Those are great. Yeah. And, and if you live that way, mm -hmm. then when you make that next purchase, then you're always thinking about the one after that, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. You're, it's never enough. But then all of a sudden, when things start to click and you take a step back and you recognize the goodness of God and how he shows up for us always when we trust in him and when we open that door for him, he never lets us down. Yeah. That's peaceful. And being able to have, it's been 35 years since that all happened and being able to look back, it all makes sense to me. I mean, and, and I, I compare it to like a mosaic picture, you know, when, when, um, you don't see the whole picture with the salamander letter. And then they are talking about the 116 lost pages that he was going to maybe forge that. And then the McClellan collection, people are all worried, but as time has gone on, we know those are all forgeries and none of those are true. And so the mosaic, you, you, if you can just step away and have time, Heavenly father's plan is perfect. You know, sometimes it might not, you know, look that way at first, but if you step away and time will tell, you'll have this beautiful picture, but sometimes you can't see that when you're in the middle of it. Amen. Amen. Trust, right? And that's hard to do in those moments. Yes, that's really hard to oh, do. I mean, yeah. I mean, figuratively speaking, we've got bombs that go off sometimes and, and it rocks our world, right? And it's hard to For trust sure. in those moments. I, I just want to kind of put a cap on this whole Mark Hoffman thing, if you don't mind. Tell me about like your feelings when he went to trial uh, they found him guilty. Like what, what were your guys' as a family's thoughts about that? That was really hard. Um, cause we went down there and we had met the one thing is the attorneys that, um, we worked with and that we knew, 
Um, the ones that the funny thing is that the ones that are on the docu series, um, Jerry D'Elia and Bob Stott and some of the other ones that were on there were wonderful to us, kind and loving and asked us questions. How do you feel about this? The question was, um, if if he said if he will tell everything about the bombings and what he wanted to do and you know clear that all up, will you take the um, you know, the death. Uh, so he wouldn't, um, what do I want to say? Like the plea bargain. So he doesn't. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't, uh, he won't die, but he'll just live his life in prison. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Cause yeah. we'd rather have the information, but the interesting thing is, is so he pled guilty. Um, and, but he never really talked a lot. He, like he was supposed to. And, um, so that was, disappointing, you know? Um, but when we sat there, dad, um, I never saw his mom at the trial, but I sat his dad and Dorley, his wife. Um, and I just remember feeling really bad for his dad, his yeah. dad. One interesting thing is when he, um, was pleading guilty, his dad got in the elevator with my dad and he said, I want you to know that my son didn't do this. My son would never kill anybody. Come on. So I remember thinking, oh, and, and he apparently, from what I heard, was telling his dad he needed to plead guilty to make the church, to cover the church, oh, you know? Oh, gosh. And so I think, I don't know if his dad ever fully believed um, his son killed. I don't know. I, um, maybe that was just too painful for him to go there, um, knowing what he had done. Yeah. Um, and wondering, and just, I remember thinking this is just a guy, a random guy that could be walking down the street and he's so evil. And you look around and think, are other people like this? Are there other people out in the world that think and feel this way? Cause I sure don't. And I've never grown up in a, you know, with people like that. So it just makes you kind of, um, question at first. I mean, that first year afterwards is where, oh, as we're going through all this, you just kind of go, Oh, you know, yeah. he went to Olympus. He went to school with my husband, you know, he was a little bit older than my husband, but who knew, yeah. you know, and yeah. I've often wondered, and I don't know the answer. Is it nature or nurture? Was he born this way? Was it, I know, I don't know. Or is he just an evil person? I don't know that, yeah. you know, I'm glad I don't have to make a call on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think one, well, I think one of the feelings I got from the docuseries, um, and, and I don't, I don't want to talk bad about anybody, but I do want to, I do want to point something out that I feel like in our day and age has changed a lot. Um, when, when they talk to Mark Hoffman's parents, um, they kind of show them in a couple clips. And back in the day, there was very much like an authoritarian type of role that a father would play in the home. And like religiously, that's a patriarch. Like it's almost like the patriarch was thought of to be like the 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 master of the home. And and I just I think that our view on that is has been messed up. And I think obviously the the most faithful and charitable people that are humble and kind understand how that works, right? There's a patriarch and a matriarch, and and it and and it, there's no one above the other. But but I think some men get carried away in this idea that. Um, that that patriarchal role means that they, what they say goes, what they say is the law and, and people better obey me in my, in, in my home, my rules, right? You're under my roof. It's my rules. And, and, yeah. and I feel like growing up in that type of environment um, where there's no space for your own choices, if you will, there's no space for you kind of going a different direction in your thought process or whatever. I think, that prevents kids from really trying to uncover and discover themselves. And, and when Mark Hoffman was on a mission, they showed a, a couple of clips of him and he got his hands on some anti-material. That, that's fine. You know, whatever. Um, but I think the thing is, is obviously after he got out of his dad's roof, he was, he was wanting to try and find himself, you know, whatever he could do to get his hands on yeah. anything to like, you know, learn more about the, the information that was being fed to him in his own home. And, and as you know, and as I know, the gospel is is so important. It's so true. But the problem is, you can't force feed it to people. And if you yeah. force if you force feed people, and you and you force people to live this certain lifestyle, even if you know a thousand percent that it's true, 
nobody, we, we know this perfectly. If you push a kid to do anything, guess what's going to happen? They're going to turn their back and they're going to be like, Oh, okay, dad. Okay. Whatever you say, sir, as they kicking and screaming. Right. And it just, it doesn't work that way. And and I think Mm -hmm. ultimately the most perfect example we have of that idea. And I'm I'm not saying this is the exact reason why Mark ended up waiting. It was, he had his own choice in the matter, right? It wasn't his choice. Right. But I think there's something to that. And I think the most perfect example that we have of, of, of how we can be as parents is heavenly father. Mm-hmm. He gives us perfect free agency. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, we do some dumb, dumb stuff in our lives right. here on this earth, and and we know better a lot of times, and we feel it, and yet he still loves us, and he still provides for us, and he's still there. And as soon as we are broken and we feel darkness, if we open that door for him, if we turn to him and just say help, he runs to yeah. us. And and I think that there's an important lesson there as parent in parenting. And, and, and again, I don't want to go into that and pretend like that. I know that's what happened. I, I don't, but I, yeah. that's an interesting piece of it that you brought up and, and you kind of see a little bit of that in the docuseries and, and, and the, again, go back to principles, right? Like you want to study somebody's life and, and what led them to doing this. Well, ultimately it's their choice, but what are the experiences they went through right. that caused them to, to really put themselves in some of the, the places that they were in, right? Exactly. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. It's very interesting. And I I look at these, you know, I've taught sec I teach second grade now and I taught school for 26 years. And I it's uh, these little children are pure. They're yeah. really, really pure until life situations are hard, you know. And I don't know, it's just something that I think about. I don't have any answers. I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, it's not me to judge. Heavenly Father will judge. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's right. And Katie, they're they're pure until Dad says, "Hey guys, it's Saturday. Clean your room." <laughs> then all of a sudden, it's like, "Whoa! What happened to that? What happened to these pure little kids?" That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So, yeah. So instead of Dad saying, "Go clean your room," Dad gets on his knees and his hands and he goes and cleans their room with them. Right. Anyway. Exactly. In the perfect world, yeah. I know exactly. Well, for Katie, sure. you're, you're amazing, and I I mean what I said when with it, when I started this podcast. You're one of the most peaceful and just smiley, bright people that I know from day one, um, in the singles ward, when I got to know you and Joe, you know, Joe's quieter, he's quieter quieter than you, but he's like, he's the best guy and you feel so good around him. There's like a piece that Joe carries with him. That's just phenomenal. But you have, you have that energy and you've got that smile and, um, it lifts people up and to know what you've been through and to hear you talking about some of the experiences that you've been through. Um, amazing. I mean, you're an optimist and in the way that you've risen above some of these challenges um, without your mom too, who I know you were super close to, like we've talked about in the past. Kudos to you. I mean, what a, what a great legacy to leave your kids and your grandkids to like, if, if I, if I'm your child and your grandchild and I face something hard, I can look at that and I can say, Hey, my grandma, Katie, like she went through some hard things. Look how amazing she was. I got this. I can do this. And what better example to leave for your kids and your grandkids, you know, let's, let's get into last questions here and then we'll wrap it up if that's okay. Sure. Um, you talked about looking back hindsight. It's always 2020. Um, you said you learned some really valuable lessons. I know we talked about one, we talked about the money that the money really, really, does not give us happiness that it never does. Tell me about maybe one or two other things that you really learned um, going through this experience, if you will. Um, I learned that heavenly father really knows what you need in your life to help you become the best person you can become like the trials and the different things. And he'll never, I felt like I never got so far off the cliff, you know, you get pretty close to the end and it's pretty dark days, but then some wonderful person or, um, some act of kindness or something said, you know, through, in my opinion, through, um, people that work through heavenly father and the spirit will be there to lift you up. And I, and I, I think that you just have to have faith and hope, you know, that it's going to work out. Okay. And that's the one thing I think I gained 
more so through my trials and not to say that they're over. I know they're not over. I mean, there's still trials to come, but I think it's given me a peace in my life that Heavenly Father has a plan. I will be okay. I can get through this. It will be hard, but I can do hard things. We can do hard things. And um, that his plan is better than my plan. His, his plan for me will make me a better person. My plan, I just want it to be easy, you know, <laughs> just easy. And like I'll have kids, my own kids will say, gosh, I couldn't do that. Or, you know, lose a child, that'd be the hardest thing. Or I couldn't, you know all these different scenarios. And I think, you know what, you can, you can get through it because you have heavenly father and you have a great village of people around you that will be there, you know? And I, that's the thing with my dad, as I look back and I, I saw who the village were, they were our sweet neighbors. I have to just tell, I just tell you this, our neighbor, Mike bridge up the street. I mean, just, he was the one um because the crime scenes they leave and they didn't clean up or anything but our sweet neighbor mike bridge came down with a bucket and cleaned off all the bloody stains on the stucco on the ground so that when we walked through to the front porch we didn't we didn't see it those are the kind of people that i will forever be grateful for and love those little small acts and i'm sure he didn't really think too much about it, but it meant the world to me. Um, the detectives that worked so hard, George Throckmorton, and the, 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 I mean, talk about amazing is the people who figured out the cracking of the ink and how they were forged. And yeah, that was amazing. Fascinating, fascinating, brilliant guys. George Throckmorton is brilliant, quiet, <laughs> kind, nice. I mean, brilliant in tune with the spirit. Um, my cute little sister went into police work because of working with the, you know, the detectives, no but kidding. yeah, she is. She's a great cop. Oh, Gretchen. Yeah. She's, That's great. Awesome. she's got some great stories. She works for Salt Lake police department, but um, I just, there's a lot of goodness, you know, there's a lot, a lot of goodness um, in the world. And I am so grateful for the people that, um, have been there to lift me up as, as I've needed, you know? So I guess that's one thing I've learned, you know? Amen to that. It's uh, you know, you make, you make me think of Mr. Rogers mom. Do you remember that? Quote <laughs> yes, mom, right. Like bad <laughs> things, bad things happen. Like it, it's true. They're out there. They're, it's, it happens. Um, we need to be tried on this earth. We, we have to go through tough stuff you've been through some extremely tough stuff. We don't wish that upon anybody. And that, that is, ah, that's so hard. Um, but it's those trials, it's those losses, it's those mistakes that open our eyes to grow. It's give us opportunities to grow and to learn. Um, I never, I, I didn't re really learn a whole lot from all my victories as a little kid. It just mm -hmm. made me a little more arrogant, but my losses, I learned a heck of a lot from that. I learned how to be a good teammate from my losses, not from my wins. Um, either when we won, I either thought how many points did I score? Was I the lead scorer? Or I thought I didn't, I didn't play that well, but so-and-so did. And so I'm not that good winning in life. Um, consistently it's, it's fun, but like, I don't know that there's that much growth involved there. It's those losses that challenge us and teach us and give us those opportunities to really learn and grow. Now, I don't want to say that, that winning is, is not all good, but yeah, so, yeah <laughs> no, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that out. Um, <laughs> But so, yeah. so, you know, look for the helpers, right? Mr. Rogers, mom, look for the helpers. They're, they're out there. They're, they're there. And, and like you said, and you said it so well, I believe that God sends people into our lives at the exact moment and the time that we need them to lift us up. And mm -hmm. is, now you said Mike Bridge, is that his name? Mike Bridge. Does yeah. Does he have a son, Scott? Scotty Bridge. Yep. Good old Scotty. He's awesome. Do you know, I lined Scotty up with his wife. Oh, you did. Hey, I did. yes, did. yes. All that right. That was my one successful lineup. My one and only we're matchmaking. Gonna, yes. We're going to have to make yeah. sure Scotty bridge. Here's this then. Scotty bridge. Awesome. He's, a, he's Scotty a, bridge. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. It was his well, dad. Katie, you are phenomenal. And, um, thank you for sharing your message with us and, and talking about some important things. Um, is there anything else you want to say? Maybe leave us like a last thought of like, 
your feelings about Heavenly Father, if you will? Um, sure, that's a tender subject because I feel like he, um, anyway, he's really helped me through a lot, carried me through a lot of pain and a lot of dark days and sad days. But I think when we um, are in heaven in the hereafter, that we'll look down on these struggles and trials and say, it's all worth it. You know, I, I think of Joseph Smith often um, with the things that he went through and how brutal people were to him, the tar and feathered and the stuff that he went through. And if he, I'm sure if you asked him now, was it worth it? If you could look at this church, this, you know, worldwide church and all the good things the church brings to people's lives, I think he would say, absolutely. It was worth everything I went through, every tar, every feathering. And I, I, have such a testimony of the gospel and it's deep in my heart and it's, it's something I will never question. I just don't, I just, because I've been through too much. I know I've seen it in my life where he's been there to help me. And I don't think it's, it's a naive. Um, I don't think I'm being naive. I think I, it's just a, I know, I just know. And I am grateful for that knowledge. Not everybody is blessed with um, knowing, you know, and I, I am grateful that I do know, you know, yeah. and, and so. you're, and you're a light to so many of us. Well, and, you're nice. Thanks. Well, no, no, I, I mean, it. I mean it. it's like, like we need to see people that have made it through tough, tough things. Cause we all face them. We all have yeah. our battles. Right. And so we need to see those people that have made it through that have kept their faith. Um, because when we try and figure it all out ourselves, we're not enough. We don't know enough. We don't know, but God does. And when we plug in, we power up. I mean, that's, that's all there is yeah. to it. let him in, let him in. And, and thank you for, for who you are and your life. You're amazing. And, um, I love you. I oh, think, you're I so the sweet. world of you and Joe. So, well, we love your family. So you're the best. Uh, and thanks. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time and it just, I just, I really appreciate it. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at delight at gmail.com.